Hello, everybody. Welcome to Speculative Work. I am James Aaron. Um, I'm a science fiction writer, and this podcast is an author diary of my work, goals, fumbles, and lessons, so hopefully you don't make the same mistakes I did or that I do. Um, Here we are at episode 12. I'm recording this on February 28th, 2019. Uh, This week, I'm going to talk about getting back into a streak, WizardCon Portland that I attended last weekend, and a little bit about the Nebula Awards and how I'm feeling about awards right now, and maybe some extra things to think about when choosing where to focus your energy, um, or at least where I'm choosing to focus mine when it comes to thinking about things like awards. Um, But first, some updates. So, work complete. Words so far this year, 78,840, which um, has not budged since uh, for a while, and I'll talk about that. Um, Lissa's Fire, which is an omnibus of books four and five of the Sentience Wars Origins series, plus Vesta Burning, which is kind of a uh, a bridging book, is now an omnibus that's available on Amazon. And um, it's pretty awesome. It's already got 11 reviews. and so the reason mainly that we published this one was so we could do whisper sync on audible because we are doing this omnibus on audible so we've got basically two omnibuses available um, because the other one lissa's rise has been doing really well so it's uh one of our bigger sellers um in aeon 14 so far which is really exciting on on audible um so we're we're actually asking fans to review the audible for Lissa's Fire, so they're listening and they'll be letting us know any issues, um, and we'll get that through their approval process and get it up and going. Since uh, last time, I submitted a short story to the Keystroke Medium Near Future Anthology, and I'll find out on the 4th if uh, that story was accepted. And if it wasn't, I can um, send it out as an email, newsletter, or just share it maybe uh, to the AM14 Patreon or something like that. So, um, but I'm excited to hear about that, and I'm really happy with that story. I'll talk about a bit about it um, in a minute. Um, Michael and I made some decisions about how Sentience Wars 1 is going to be released, and basically we're shooting for kind of a rapid release thing, but starting in May. So mid-May is when book one will come out, and then books two and three will follow every month after that which is an aggressive schedule, but I'm discovering that, uh, you know, the more aggressive a deadline I've got, the more likely I am to make it. So I'm going to keep, uh, keep pushing ahead, but I'm, um, I don't know. I'm excited about that. I think it's going to be a, a good way to, to round out the year. So something that, uh, I was kind of hoping, um, you know, whenever you submit to anthologies, uh, it's an opportunity to maybe open up some doors, build relationships, you know, anthologies don't typically make a lot of money. Like you can always be amazed. Um, you know, I, I've pretty much at least made some money off every anthology I've submitted to either getting paid for it or the ones that, you know, give you a payout based on like Kindle Unlimited or something like that. So I, I'd say I've pretty much averaged market rates, you know, six cents a word on short stories submitted to anthologies. Um, and so, but, but I don't, it's not the kind of thing you do for the money. It's the kind of thing you sort of do because you get to be associated with other writers that you might want to work with, uh, editors, things like that. Um, it's an opportunity to try out a story aimed at a specific 
like idea, you know, like in this case um, for Keystroke Medium, it was near future, which I actually haven't written that many near future stories. So it was fun to think about like what tech, you know, is going to look like in the next 10 years or not 10 years, but 50 years, you know, and how we envision that, which, you know, it doesn't always move as fast as we think, or some things move fast and some things don't, you know, so how that those two things intersect is really interesting to me. So even though there's no guarantees of what's going to happen with that short story, uh, it's still you know, potentially leads to other things. And I'm really excited about a potential project that might be coming up um, with the Keystroke Medium folks that I could uh, be part of. So um, I'll keep you posted as I hear more about that um, and what it might might end up being. So that, would, that could be a good thing. Um, I'm continuing work on Eve of Destruction, and I'll talk about that. But the book that started out as Lunar Uprising and became Stars the Hard Way Michael and I were um, debating back and forth about titles and what title is, you know, super epic and because I want this book to be epic. And finally, it was like, you know, it's not the war, but it's right before the war starts. That's Eva Destruction, you know, which is kind of cliched, but I think it also really gets to what we're trying to do and also fits with the cover that we have, which is just a kick ass cover. I'm really excited about it. So. For me, you know, based on just how these last couple of weeks have been, uh, something that really started jogging my kind of creative process back in was absorbing the cover once it was put together and then also the new title. And it really helped kind of, you know, flip my creative juices around. So, um, so that's, been, that's been good. Um, but that's the final title of the book. It's going to be called Sentience Wars, um, Eve of Destruction. And uh, that's basically what the, uh, the story is. It's right before everything kicks off. So I'm feeling pretty good about that. Um, but the thing I want, I was going to talk about WizardCon Portland. And I had kind of taken a break. Like after I finished that, that short story, I, I had a weird like, like, I don't know. I felt like, oh, I accomplished something. So now maybe I'll take a break. I should not have done that. Um, but I, I got kind of distracted. I didn't write as much. Um, what, what, what now has become, you know, a week and a half ago, we roll into the weekend and we had planned a trip to Portland to go to WizardCon, um, a Comic-Con that uh, is in Portland. And I'll talk about that. But I, of course, we stayed in a hotel, so I didn't get any writing done um, with the baby. Like, it's just, you don't get anything done in a hotel room with a baby. It just doesn't work that way. So <laughs> I, had, I had known that was going to happen and I was super jazzed about, okay, I'm going to write on Monday. Everything's going to be great. And we had a huge snowstorm. Like we got back, uh, we were about two hours away from Portland. So we got back, we knew it was, the weather was getting bad, you know, got everything together, put gas in all the vehicles. Um, and we get like 12 inches of snow, which is not typical for where I live. Um, although some weird kind of ice storm usually does happen in February, like end of February. Um, but not only like did we get an ice storm, but a tree broke, fell across a power line near my house and we were out of power. Um, and we ended up being out of power for about three days, which was a new thing for me. I have not experienced that before. And we weren't as prepared as I would like to be. Um, certainly not when it comes to everything that I used to write needs to be plugged in in some way. <laughs> you know, or when you're focused on like getting your family to a friend's place where it's warm and moving stuff and taking care of animals. And, you know, it just makes it difficult to focus on, on anything really. And then also my job required, um, you know, it wasn't like I could just, not go to, I wasn't able to go into work, but I was still doing a lot of stuff on my phone and, you know, coordinating and things like that. 
um, as part of the uh, the power outage that uh, that we were going through, or the the, the snowstorm slash ice storm slash power outage, you know, throughout the area <clears throat> where I live. So that was no fun, and that basically made it um, very difficult to get any writing done. But in the midst of that, I have been doing a lot of reading because we didn't have any power. And so I basically, I'm just about done with the uh, the first three books of uh, the Books of Babel series by Jos- Josiah Bancroft. And I'll talk about those more next time, I think. But I've really been enjoying them. And I've got, uh, I know those books started out as independently published and they got, got picked up by Hachette. And um, <clears throat> they're, they're awesome. They're really great fantasy books. So um, I'll talk about them more. So WizardCon Portland from a writer's perspective. I had never been to a Comic-Con before, so I really didn't know what to expect. Um, ran into some friends that had been to previous years, and I guess this one was not as well attended as other ones were. But the the main event was kind of the sales floor where they had you know lots of tables set up with various kinds of merchandise, um, artists, people in cosplay wandering around. That was all really neat. And then they had some, they had programming. Um, <clears throat> so we went to like a... Uh, a, th- a panel put on by a local D&D group that does like a rotating, inviting people in to just do standalone D&D sessions, and that was really fun. Um, and the, the main draw for this, like the reason we went up, is the uh, the cast for Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel were doing, like I guess like 95% of the cast was there. And so we went to a question and answer period, and then my wife and my son... Um, stood in line actually I stood in line we all switched off standing in line <laughs> to uh to get for them to get to meet James Marsters the guy that played um Spike in Buffy the Vampire Slayer who's just a super nice guy I mean from from what I could see <clears throat> pretty much all of the the actors were just really kind and very excited that you know so many people came out for the con and to see them and so that was that was really neat um I'm glad that we got to do that piece of it uh one thing I noticed that was happening at the, at the con, which I did not expect, was author tables. And so while I was waiting for various things, like walking around with the baby while my wife and son waited in line um, to get their picture signed, I just, you know, walked around and took a look at the different author tables and which ones were appeared to be successful, which ones didn't have anybody interacting with them. You know, what, what tables in general had people interacting with them. And... Uh, <clears throat> It, and also because I, I kind of knew that the tables were pretty expensive to buy into the con. Um, I had a conversation with somebody, with one of the vendors there, and was talking to them about that. And so I noticed a lot of the writers that had their own table, like, were not getting a lot of engagement. And they had they had kind of everything you would expect, like, you know, the little tiered stand with their books on it. They might have a, you know, a backdrop that was a printed banner with a picture of a, a book, um, but it really depended, like, because there was only only two people, two authors I saw that were even, like, standing up, kind of engaging with people. Um, and the one that I saw that was being really successful, uh, you could tell that his, his setup was really designed to attract random people into, you know, into talk to him. And I looked him up on Amazon later, and he's, you know, his sales were, were good. Um, it was, uh, but he was selling, like, I watched him sell just in the, you know, the half hour that I was sitting uh, in the spot where I was with the baby, I watched him hand sell um, probably four or five books, but also just talking with people and smiling with people. And 
but the way his table was set up was so he's a fantasy author and while he did have his cover art on a banner behind him it was not a picture of the book it was like this really kick-ass picture of a a dragon breathing fire with a knight like in front of the you know kind of standing in the river of flame coming out of the dragon's mouth so like a really dynamic painted fantasy image that that just drew your attention immediately so i would say the first thing that you didn't see about the about the table at all was that it was even like an author's table it was more like it's a cool fantasy table um and then as you got closer like he had he had books uh you know on the table around him but he had he had a tablecloth uh the tablecloth was um in colors that matched his art and then he had other little things stacked up like little miniatures dragons leather-bound books you know just little things to attract people to to touch and stuff like that you know in addition to the stacks of books and he had you know not only hardcovers but uh paperbacks and and other merch and stuff that kind of gave people you know whenever you're merchandising it's all about like you don't want to sell just one thing right you want to have multiple things so that even if somebody doesn't want to buy one thing you have they might still buy another thing and he also had something that uh, I didn't notice any other authors doing he had little kind of brochures or uh, chapbooks that he was handing out that were probably saddle stapled I didn't get a chance to grab one um, that were samples. So even if somebody didn't buy something, they could take they could take that. I didn't see him doing any newsletter signups, but I've I've heard people say that like newsletter signups at a con are not are not that great. Like you really want to focus on getting that sale. Um, but I mean that's why I was so interested in this because I've heard different people go back and forth about how beneficial cons really are as far as getting you know long term readers. Michael has had Michael Cooper has had really great success at cons. Um, so it could be a fantasy thing, I don't know. But but I would say he was the only one out of probably six authors there that I saw that were like consistently getting people coming up and talking um, to them and stuff. And I would say there was a couple of things he had that I would really want to get if I was going to do a con. And that was a corner table. It was near the bar. <laughs> so they had, they had little, um, like it was next to a wall kind of, and they had, the catering was set up along the wall. So it was on the edge of the, uh, the catering area or the, uh, the merchandising area um and then he so he had that corner he had a really strong table set up that did not immediately look like it was an author's table and then he had that banner that was just immediately drew your eye as you walked past so everybody that was walking past was looking at that banner and the banner was even though it was his cover art it was not immediately apparent that it was a book cover because so i think a lot of people like when they saw that book cover they immediately um we're kind of like, no, I don't want to talk to a writer. <laughs> you know, that's just sort of how, how it was. Um, so so that was um, something I took away from that. I think if I was going to do it, that's how I would do it. And, you know, Michael uh, has some really dynamic art. Art is a big part of Aeon 14. And so we have a lot of really great art when it comes to when he goes to conventions that he can show to kind of draw people in um, at, the, at the conventions. Uh, the other other cool thing I got that I'm, I'm really excited about is... A, a large print of the Rosinante from uh, The Expanse <laughs> or um, S.A. Corey's Expanse and it was actually commissioned with, uh, I've got the name of the artist here, name is um, Brent and Kayla Woodside and they are, well it doesn't say where they're out of but they do sci-fi sci illustrations 
And apparently Alex from the show commissioned it because they had, they had a couple other things, but this is the one that really jumped out at me. And I kind of splurged, but it's a good, I'd say it's 12 inches by probably 30 inches. So I'm going to have to get it specially framed, but um, it's uh, it's sweet. I mean, as soon as I saw it, I was just like, oh, that's, that's awesome. I need to check that out. So there was not a lot of science fiction art, I would say. You know, it was definitely... Um, comics related you know so if that's your thing it was definitely all about that um but i was really excited to find to find something that was i thought kind of unique i mean i who knows it could be at walmart tomorrow but um but for for me it seemed like something that was really unique um okay so other things like the um i already talked about the the essay i want to talk about where I'm at with, uh, the streaks and like feeling just kind of crappy about like breaking my streak. Um, and I think that I'm going to like say the things that I know I need to do, even though I haven't done them yet, but <laughs> I can't beat myself up about not continuing to write every day. Cause I was, I was doing awesome. I mean, I, there were a couple days like when I, you know, the, the last episode I talked about like refurbishing a short story and I was kind of beating my head against the wall with the previous story. And I finally realized that fundamentally it was not going to work with the market that I was trying to submit it to. And once I did that, I had, cause I kind of had another idea in my head as well about something I wanted to write about. And once I kind of put the other thing aside and let myself write about the, um, the new idea, I had two really great days. Like I had two 4,000 word days, um, in doing some writing on Eve of Destruction and then writing this short story. And I wrote, I wrote it in probably, uh, I want to say three and a half days, um, which is kind of, I mean, I've definitely sat down and written, written short stories before, but not, not actually an 8,000 word short story. So, um, it was a, it was longer than I might typically do for a short story, but I wanted to get it like right within the guidelines of the, um, what the, the market wanted. Um, but that was a great streak. And then finishing it, like it was just a weird energy drop. Um, or I don't know, this sense of accomplishment. And then I felt like I didn't need to have to write anymore. And obviously that was bad. So I don't want to beat myself up about that. But also realize that, you know, even if you only write 200 words a day, that's still an accomplishment and still getting something done. Because for me, at least, like if I, if I don't write and I let two days go by and three days go by, um, I just feel crappy. But also life sets in, you know, I mean... I was going to take a break for the, the little vacation that we took that we were really excited about. Um, and then thinking I'm going to get back to write and there's a flipping snowstorm. <laughs> so um, all these things sort of conspire to get in the way and you just have to just have to jump back into it, you know? So, um, but I will say, you know, long story short, guard your writing time, make yourself do it, keep at it and don't beat yourself up, which those are the things I'm saying to myself actually. So We'll see the next time I talk to you, we'll see how, um, how well I followed my own advice. Okay. So I, I've been debating how I wanted to kind of talk about this, but I think it's, I'm having a hard time actually getting my thoughts together and how I feel about, um, so the Nebula award, if you're not familiar is, uh, the science fiction writers of America is an organization that if you're a professional, science fiction writer with professional sales or a certain amount of sales, you can join what's kind of like a guild or I wouldn't call it a union exactly, but it's just an organization of professional science fiction writers. 
And for me, it was a, a big accomplishment when I got to join uh, CEFWA. It's something that I've really wanted to do my whole career. I've looked up to writers that were members of uh, CEFWA. And so I've been a member for um, two years now, and I really had not engaged with the Nebula process, but that's basically the awards system where they they nominate writers that, um, they don't have to be members of CEFWA to be nominated, but only members of CEFWA can vote. Um, and so there's different categories, you know, of course, novel, short story, uh, they added games this year. Um, <clears throat> there's a YA category, things like that. Um, there was a push by Jonathan Brazy, who is, uh, has been an indie writer, but also I, I believe has, he's hybrid now. I'm th I think he has a, a traditional contract as well. But he wanted to bring to people's attention um, a bunch of nominated works that were uh, by independent authors um, or predominantly indie authors. I'm only aware of him posting about it in the 20 books to 50K group which has about 30,000 people in it now. <laughs> the last time I looked, it was at like 28,000 people, um, if not more. But I believe he also posted in a lot of other groups. Just for whatever reason, the 20 books to 50K group has kind of drawn the most attention. And um, by promoting that, you know, promoting these stories by independent authors in kind of like focused places um, when some of those writers were actually nominated for the award because they had kind of come out of left field for people that were kind of normally watching the pipeline of where these stories and novels would come from there were some people that immediately kind of looked at that as like where where did these stories come from we didn't even know they existed and the, so the normal pipeline of these stories would be, you know, you submit to a magazine, it gets accepted, people read the magazines, and then that's kind of how people make the recommendations or the nominations is out of this pipeline of, you know, anthologies, uh, magazines, things like that, you know, Asimov's Analog, Beneath the Ceaseless Skies, you know, Uncanny, that, that whole thing. Um, well, a lot of these, these stories did not follow that path. And so they just immediately drew more attention. Um, and so as like people started to comment about that, I immediately kind of realized that, oh, this is probably not going to go, this is not going to go well. <laughs> um, and, and it hasn't. Like there's been just, it's kind of grown in fervor about the concern over what people are calling slate voting. And what this comes from is, if you're not familiar with the Hugo Awards, which are out of the Worldcon convention, people who are vote or go to Worldcon can vote on a Hugo Award. And there was an effort um, back in 2015 uh, by a group of writers to like basically promote what they called a slate of approved books, and they wanted a certain we wanted people to to vote for this slate of books because they wanted to make a statement about. What they thought what they saw as the direction of science fiction so it wasn't about the books themselves it was about making a statement about what kinds of books should win this award that created a huge fervor there was basically a movement within the hugos to say um if we you could actually vote not on the books but on no award 
And so in a certain category, rather than a short story winning that the, the Worldcon group did not want to win, they just announced no award. Um, and, and a lot of this comes down to the fact that actually not a lot of people do vote on these in these these award contests. And so if you energize a group of people to vote, it's pretty easy to actually sway, um, you know, what's nominated and then what's awarded. And so there's there's a lot of stuff at work here. You know, there's a lot of things have kind of come out of the woodwork of people just not liking the 20 books site um, or group, I should say, on Facebook. You know, it is a closed group, but anybody can join it um, as long as they don't, you know, aren't mean to other people and try and tell people how it has to be. They don't get kicked out of the group. Um, but my, so I've been a member of this group since 2015. And I mean, a lot of good connections have come out of the group for me. But it's also probably one of the better places I've seen to just try and make where people share information about, you know, how the market is continuously changing. And one of the things that's been criticized before, for by a lot of people is that uh, writers will post screenshots of their book report uh, earnings. Book report is a program that lets you kind of just track your sales in Amazon. And so you might have somebody that earned, you know, $100,000 in six months or something. And then if they're being helpful, they'll talk about how they did that, you know, focusing on a, a niche or how the advertising worked or, or whatever. But then you equally have a lot of people that post book reports of like, 40 bucks, you know, so it's, um, there's kind of a story there of people who want to improve their marketing. And that's what the, the group is focused on. I should have said that it's focused on marketing. Um, you know, how people go from writing kind of whatever the book of their heart to focusing on an Amazon category and, and learning to market, learning to focus on an audience and getting more sales, you know, and so depending on what you want to write, and if people are trying to uh, support themselves as writers, those are kind of different different goals than the work that might be that an, that an award might be trying to showcase, you know. Or it really goes back to that kind of continuous, ongoing, uh, you know, gap between what people see as commercial work and what people see as you know award work that's worthy of an award, you know. And, and sometimes, and, and very often, like every time a book gets the award, you're defining what the award is, right? So that's why I think people are really sensitive about this kind of thing. And so what, what it really is troubling to me is that um, I know a lot of the writers that were nominated and now in this process of people like asking how this, how this really happened, they're attacking the group, calling it predatory, um, calling, you know, calling out writers for focusing on their marketing, but then also attacking the stories in public forums, you know, basically tearing the stories apart, saying that the writers, that they're not good stories and they shouldn't have been nominated. And, and be that as it may, that's their opinion. But I mean, how crappy is it for, you know, a writer to have been, been really excited that they got nominated and then to have their work torn apart um, in a public place by, by people? Like, how does that make anybody ever want to be nominated for an award because I think it's, it's always going to be that way. Like there's, there were books that were traditionally published that are nebula nominated that I didn't like. I mean, I spent like 36 bucks on a book that I bought in hardcover, Kindle and 
uh, Audible so I could have time to read it, and it I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. <laughs> but I don't I don't go on public forums and attack the book saying that that person is a bad writer because I know plenty of other people did like it. Um, and so that's just that's just crappy. I just you know the main thing when people attack the the group, it's like I feel like well. What, what this kind of goes back to, I guess, is, you know, I, I work in law enforcement and there have been a few different times in my career. I shouldn't say a few because it's more and more where I might have information about an event or a thing that happened. And I know it's different than how people are talking about it. And, and very often in my work, like you might know what happened, but you can't talk about what really happened because of legal reasons or, you know, um, the organization isn't going to release that information for various reasons. But this is a situation where, um, like, people can go get the, they could join the group. They could take a look at that, you know, everything that's in the group and, and see what's there. Um, but I also think I, I don't understand the attacking of writers that are trying to get information about how to market their books. I think there's an intersection of power there. And it's, it's kind of, you know, I'm not going to throw the word privilege around very often, but it's it's coming from a place of privilege. Like if you're a brand new author with no power whatsoever and you submit to an anthology or you even or you're even trying to sell your books and you start selling books and you're super excited about it because you've finally been doing something right. You know, you're so disempowered by the whole system as a writer. You know, there are so many new writers that are constantly, constantly pouring into the system. Um and they have no power whatsoever. So just being able to share information in a place like Facebook, which you know, I wish there were other places in Facebook to do it, but the fact that people can get together, share information, figure out what's working, figuring out just how Amazon works so that there isn't you know, all this myth-making about how Amazon does things, um, that is so empowering for writers. And so many people are able to you know, gain more readers for their work because of these groups where people are sharing information. And attacking the group and calling it predatory because people want to sell more of their work. Um, I just, I see that as, I don't understand it. You know, it's like, it's, it's attacking people for going to college, you know? Um, And so that, that's something that has been really troubling to me. But I don't think it's going to change. Um, I think that this is something that's kind of aligned with, what we're seeing everywhere else, you know, like when I think to stuff I've heard from Seth Godin about how the market is atomized, you know, that everywhere we look, um, people are splitting into their own bubbles, their own channels, there, there is not a lot of room for a generalized audience of anything anymore. And while we might think of science fiction as a genre, you know, science fiction being a big place, that's not actually the case like it's definitely splitting into its own little channels and it's it's kind of it's worlds that aren't necessarily meeting and there isn't a lot of data right now about where the sales are because amazon is not sharing that information but there are a lot of people that are saying that like you know ebooks and amazon are vastly outselling um anything tracked through bookscan and the problem is nobody can definitively say it because Amazon won't share the info and people, you know, there are people that discount what data guy says. Um, but, but I don't know. There's a lot of people buying books on, on Amazon. I wish that wasn't the, necessarily the case. I wish there was more 
uh, competition, but that's just not how it is. And so what that means is that there's audiences out there that are reading books and writers that are coming up just in the last two, three, four years that did not come from the same place that writers that are, have been in Sefwa or have been writing for magazines, um, they didn't come from the same place. You know, they're not, I've had conversations with people that are not aware of science fiction magazines, you know, or why would you read a print magazine? I've been asked, like, why would you do that? Um, even, you know, and even if it's available on, uh, online or something, like people just don't read short fiction. Like they don't, they don't want to pay for it. They don't see the value in it. Um, they don't want to read traditional fiction because they want to read the stories they want to read. You know, they don't want to read something that, um, doesn't cater to their, to their taste and what they want. And Amazon has created a system that in a very granular way that changes all the time caters to what people want. Um, and so there are some ways that I see this debate breaking down, even into the, like, if you were to look at it like regular fiction, you know, literary fiction versus, uh, you know, popular fiction and a book that is overly literary where something, something happens that might quote unquote challenge the reader you know, there's a huge market out there of readers that don't want to be challenged. They read for entertainment. <laughs> and and so they're just, they're different philosophies about what people want. And so if you're going to assign an award to that, you're going to get the same kind of pushback that you get from readers. Um, and if you try and assign the same sort of metrics to that, they're just, they're not going to work. Um, and so I, I see these people kind of getting caught up in that. Um, you know, and so it's it's folks that are, are empowered by this new system that have kind of figured it out, trying to apply these same sort of concepts that were successful for them in this other system to the old system. And the old system is basically saying, uh-uh, you, we, no, we're not going to allow that. Um, and that's that's too bad, you know, and it's too bad when, especially, I just, it's the personal attacks that really kind of hurt me, you know, and I'm just, in a way, like I admit, I, I was a little jealous. Like I, I wish that I had work that was nominated for something like this, but then also I look at what's happening to my friends and I'm like, I'm so glad that it wasn't, you know? Um, that's that's a door that's gonna be closed if this is the path that I choose to follow. And, but this is the path I choose to follow because I wanna be empowered as a writer and I don't wanna put the power in my career in the hands of random editors that I can't talk to except at, you know, rare places, or I keep sending them work until they finally put notes on something and let me know what they thought about it. And even then, like I might write a story that's great, but doesn't fit the issue. Um, and even then I get a story in the issue, but it's not, you know, award worthy. Um, when I could have a direct relationship with readers and the thing I was thinking about uh, as I was kind of like gathering my thoughts on all this is that during the last 20 books conference, when we were in Vegas, um, there was a reader of Michael's that drove two hours to come see us. Uh, and that, that's like, that's what it's all about. I mean, he came, he drove two hours to come meet us and hang out with us. Um, and he's only the tip of the iceberg because there are plenty of people that want, that would have done it if they'd been slightly closer and, and he's at it. Michael's had events and I've had people reach out to me, you know, all the time. Like actually it's, it's quite, you know, common now. Um, but that's what makes it, that's what makes it worthwhile. Like I would, I would so much rather have readers 
that that tell me what I wrote was important to them and either help them through something or even enter, just entertain them. I mean, that's the point, right? Um, then, then some award that fits a template that doesn't necessarily match where the readers are um, now. And so again, I think, you know, as we see more of these like narrowing, narrowing channels and narrowing categories of, you know, what, what people want, um, maybe there is room for more awards, you know, and, and maybe, um, I don't know, these, these things will pass, uh, and just maybe not be quite as important as they used to be. I mean, one of the things that I've, I've got a book of, uh, the, the history of the Hugo Awards um, up through 1980. And one of the things that's always really humbling is to go through and look at that and just read the number of writers in there that aren't around anymore. You know, they, they got a, they had one book, they had a short story, they, they won this coveted award and then now they don't write anymore. Like nobody knows who they are. Um, and that is very, very common, you know? So, so I think awards are, are great and they feel it, that's something that everybody you know wants to aspire to but there's so many factors there that you can't control but the thing you can control is your relationship with a reader um and that's that's who matters ultimately right so that's kind of how i'm thinking about it and i'm 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 really curious how this is gonna how this is gonna everything's gonna go down because there's still like cephal has not issued a statement about it i know there are several other people that have were part of this whole thing they're gonna issue statements um but the way the information kind of breaks out and spreads and as different people, you know, publish different things each day, it's just really interesting to watch all of this kind of uh, transpire. <laughs> and it reminds me so much of watching an event at work where a thing happens and people only have little bits of information about it. And so they share their bits of information, which may or may not have actually, you know, represent the, the real thing, right? But um, in Revolt of the Public, you know, Martin Gurry talks about homo informatis and how we are now, we are people who are connected and we share information, but it's not always complete information. Um, so maybe, you know, six months or a year from now, I'll have this all have been settled down and have been meaningless or who knows, maybe the Nebula Award will have been blown up. <laughs> who knows? Um, but that was the thing that I wanted to to take away from that was I think as a writer, you want to be empowered. I think you should look for things that empower you and it's not predatory to want to learn how to sell your work. Um, you know, there was a huge kerfuffle about uh, plagiarism this last week in romance. And that's obviously bad. Um, don't, don't do that. But, um, but learning to navigate these new systems, learning to figure out how Amazon works. And if not Amazon, then Kobo. And if not Kobo, then conferences, um, is what it's all about because there is so much competition and what matters is the person that you know enjoys your work and pays for it if it if the work is award worthy you know it pushes the envelope it does something new and interesting um, that's great but that's not always the work that sells unfortunately you know that's not necessarily what people want so it's so anyway um, those are my thoughts about that <laughs> I hope to, to have more um, more uh, nuanced things in the coming weeks. So my goals for next week are to restart the streak, uh, get back into writing at least 1500 words a night and get this, uh, dang book finished. And then maybe I'll also be able to talk about the, uh, the new project coming up. So, um, I will share more about that as I can. Um, 
Until next time, I really appreciate you listening and let me know if uh, you got any thoughts. Uh, email me at james at jamesaron.net or hit me up on Facebook. All right, I'll talk to you later. Bye.